C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood Hello and welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Ergie. And I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. And we are joined by an esteemed guest, Jen Tanti. Hello. Jen, can you introduce yourself for our guests and tell us, you know, how old you are and where you fall in the millennial spectrum and a fun fact about your life? Sure. Um, I am 24. Um... And I, um, I was born in 1993 and a fun fact about my life. Um, let's see, I have a twin brother and, um, when we were younger, we used to have a, a, a sign language that only we could understand about each other. <gasps> I love, twin like language. lots of twins have secret languages, but I've never heard of a sign language. Yeah. I don't think it was that complex, but it got the job done. <laughs> Yay. I love it. Love it. That's great. Well, shall we jump right into our millennial moments? Oh, yeah. I'm so ready. Shay is pumped. Would you like to begin, Shay? Sure. I'll begin. So my millennial moment involves many things about our generation. It involves Lena Dunham. It involves Facebook. It involves the (laughs) Mm -hmm. internet. And it involves puppers and doggos. So uh, let's yes. start. The dog, yeah. the internet culture of dogs, which we could have an yes. entire episode about. Please. Yes. And I think maybe we should. Um, so I adopted my dog from a really wonderful organization. And I'm not going to say which one it is right now because I'm about to like kind of talk shit. <laughs> She's going to drag them. No, I'm just something. kidding. No, not them, but just like a certain aspect of the dog rescue culture. So I'm just going to not say who they are because I do love them and support them in their super wonderful organization. Um, But part of this organization, like when you adopt a dog and you pay your adoption fee, you get invited to a special members only Facebook group. And it's super helpful because people like put questions like, Oh, my dog has a weird sore on his paw. Like, you know, or they'll be like, what kind of dog food do you use? And, um, Especially it's helpful because a lot of these dogs have behavioral issues and whatnot. So it's a good crowdsourcing um, that's not just the entire interweb. Um, So I am on that like every day because I love looking at pictures of dogs and reading about dogs because I'm obsessed. And I post from time to time when I have questions or something interests me. And I had come across, um, I love and I receive in the mail and the email every week, uh, the Lenny letter, which is edited by Lena Dunham. Um, do you guys read Lenny? I used to, but I, I still really like it. And I'll read the articles from time to time. I unsubscribed only because my email was like so full of, cause I get like the skim and like all these other things. Yeah. And I get like a bunch of news stuff. Yeah. from like working things so I was just like this is too much but I still really like it yeah I was never subscribed but I do know of um the company 
it is. Well, I really like it because even though I'm not a huge Alina fan, I think they do a really good job of being super inclusive of people of all different races and orientations and ages. And they feature a lot of up and coming writers. And as a writer myself, that's something I really try um, to support. So I just think as a collection of work, it's really strong. So the author, um, Jojo Moyes, who wrote uh, the uh, book Me Before You, which was the box office best, you know, movie about the girl who falls in love with, um, with the, the mother of dragons, quadriplegic. What? The mother of dragons. The mother of dragons also played in it. We love the mother of dragons. Um, Jon Snow has a dumb mid- face. I just had to throw that out there. Oh, I hate Jon Snow's dumb face so much. I hate it. Um, anyway, so... Uh, Ms. Moyes had written this really beautiful article about, I promise I am getting to a point. There's just many things to explain because there are so many elements. Um, So Ms. Moyes had written this really beautiful article about how she and her husband and their three children had adopted this um, very large, very kind of old incontinent, incontinent, I can't say that word. Anyway, she pissed all over the place, um, (laughs) dog. And how much this dog had enriched their lives. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm totally going to post this in the Facebook group because uh, old dogs and certain breeds and dogs with, you know, health issues are really hard to adopt out. And I was like, oh, I think this will really resonate with these people who many of whom have adopted senior dogs with health issues. So I posted it and I was and I stupidly shouldn't have pointed out that it was Lenny letter. But I was like, oh, I don't know how many of you read Lenny, but I saw this this morning and, you know, we love our rescues. Uh, immediately someone was like ironic that Lena Dunham is the editor and I was like mother fucker because I forgot about the whole Lena Dunham adoption dog scandal and how she you know we've talked about this before but for those listeners who may not be aware she adopted this dog and he was kind of a shit and she wasn't a very good dog mom so she eventually decided to rehome it but please note, like, she pays still 100% for its care, and it was probably the best choice for everyone involved. So someone says that. And usually on this group, like, anyone posts anything, you get, like, 50 likes. No one liked it. People liked the response. <laughs> drama. So drama-filled. And then Dog shelter liked- drama. It was totally dog shelter drama. and But people liked her response of, ugh, that's Lenny. That's Lena Dunham. And then I responded and to the girl who wrote that. And I was like, hey, um, you know, oh, my God, I totally forgot about the scandal. I still think it's a really good thing. And if you want to support a writer who writes really beautifully about dogs, I recommend and I recommended one of her books that I really enjoy that has a very good dog in it. Um, and... You know, one or two people liked that, but it was just like nobody looked at it and everybody just kind of was silent about it. And it felt a bunch of bitches, pun intended. Yeah. And I just was like, it felt really kind of like mean. And I felt like I am now shamed because I read Lenny letter. And I was like, oh, my God. Then it got me thinking. So that was like my moment because I've like never really in endured any kind of like public disapproval on the internet I was until like, oh, our podcast God. gets popular and then we get hate mail which i'm waiting for i can't wait I live for internet shame is like a whole so other real. a whole other thing a whole other experience it's a whole other thing so i guess my thing was and again we've been talking a lot recently about the culture of outrage in our country and here's my thing i really am into dogs and i love i'm not like PETA level i mean i eat meat and shit but like i am really passionate about rescuing and blah 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 and adopt don't shop and all that stuff but I'm also really passionate about 
reading things by interesting people and different people and people from different cultures. And I'm going to support any platform um, that, you know, disseminates that kind of information and that kind of content. So now, granted, if like Michael Vick had written the letter or something, it would be a different story. (laughs) But um, how do we I guess so my millennial moment sliding ungracefully as it usually does into a campfire topic um how do we deal with this in our culture when you know we have we everything is so polarized and it can't just be like you know what you can do this and do that and you can not like lena dunham but you can still be okay with some of the content her platform produces um yeah i don't know so i just thought that was an interesting kind of moral thought experiment at the end of the day i mean i definitely want to get most of jen's thoughts on this since she works in media as a nice segue (laughs) but two things one i have had a close friend who adopted a cat so not a dog but you know pet similar and she's a lovely person and she got the cat and the cat did not fit with her house or her lifestyle and the cat was unhappy and she was unhappy and it was a bad situation and she that most places that adopt they have like you know you can give the dog back if it's not a good fit and she agonized over this decision and it was part of the timing that this happened was during you know the story with lena dunham was happening in the news and she felt really bad and she was like are people going to judge me for making this decision to give the cat back and you know i think it happens a lot more frequently than people think People make these decisions for themselves. Also, I want to remind people when my mom was on, she's worked in the foster care system and with child abuse and neglect cases. And people do this with actual human children more often than people think. And it's horrifying. And I don't see anyone getting outraged on Facebook because of that. So I think not only is it selective outrage, but it's just ridiculous. And I think to your question, Shay, about, you know, what do we do with this culture? I think it harkens down to if you're a person and you can't have two thoughts in your mind at once and you can't synthesize them like I just don't Mm -hmm. have any time for that and I think it's a sign of low intelligence so that's where I'll keep it (laughs) exactly and I think what was interesting is the girl did respond on to my post because I I like did a response and I deleted it and then she saw it and she like had said oh my gosh I didn't mean to be a negative Nancy um it is a lovely article so I should I do need to give her credit where credit is due um but I was like I think I was almost more shocked by the lack of discussion about it. I was like, if you're going to be outraged, say something. Um, it's because people aren't know, so really, really outraged. Interesting. Um, and also, like, again, with adopting animals, this is, again, my just personal soapbox. Like, yeah, you're not always going to find the right fit. And if you do have to rehome, there is nothing wrong with that. But be responsible about it. Right. What do you think about the whole situation? I was going to ask, what did she ever say to you? Because um, you had a really great response. You're just... You really liked the writer and what they had to say. Um, yeah. And... Well, she... Oh, sorry. Go on. No, yeah. What were you going to say? No, that's it. So she just had kind of said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be a negative Nancy. It is a lovely article. Um, In terms of uh, but... online internet... Yeah, but... Sorry? Oh, no, I was saying, I think the thing that was more shocking to me is just that I had also, like, I kind of... Uh, Facebook chatted her separately and she did not respond to that, which I thought was interesting. Um, Oh, wow. This got real personal. (laughs) Yeah. I know I got real personal, but I think the thing that was really interesting was um, 
And I think why I was so shocked by it, because if it was like the regular internet, I would have just been like, trolls, fuck you. But because it was this group of people that I knew personally and that I knew that I know are good people and foster puppies and have fostered my puppy. Like there are people that always comment on anything I post because they know me and they know Ben Benson, my dog, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't post or like or do anything. And I just thought that was really interesting. And I think I wouldn't have thought anything of it if I'd posted it on my, my like public wall, but because it was within this private group, I was really surprised that I got this kind of really like frigid response. That's jarring. I mean, you're sharing something that's emotional to you and you thought would be received better. And um, it feels kind of like high school to get the cold shoulder from yeah from all these um, yeah. wonderful dog owners. But it's, yeah. imma- it's a sign of immaturity, people that act that way on the internet, I think. Well, in terms yeah. of just the internet at large, this is pretty, you know, low on the um, crazy yes, things I I've seen. Totally but I agree it. with your point, like, this is a smaller facebook group you is more personal mm-hmm. um it's like if i were to share something on the kappa page or something like that yeah. i would feel like mm-hmm. i don't know there's more at yeah. stake with my not reputation but just how you view me and what i read and what i consume as a internet person and it felt very like you were judged about your consumption of this media exactly oh we haven't talked about media consumption in a while we love that yes. media consumption is awesome and that's my whole life <laughs> yeah so i guess so who's next Jen? Jen has one. I don't really have a millennial moment this week. I have a hot topic, though, so we can skip me and go to Jen's millennial moment. Um, Well, my millennial moment is a group of friends of mine went down to Mardi Gras this uh, past weekend. In New Orleans? In New Orleans, um, which is where I was born, so it was kind of like a returning home. Um, And my friends had never gone. My mom lives down there and she hosted us for a lunch and all of my friends wanted to write like a thank you letter to her and my grandmother and my aunt that were there. And we were like, well, we want to write it after the lunch so we can talk about what we talked about in the letter and just like a thank you. And we sat around for like five minutes thinking like, well, how are we going to get it to them? Like we, I could have, and I was like, oh, well, I could pass it off to my brother that lives like in Dallas. And next time he's in New Orleans, he can give it to my mom. And oh, I, no, look, Jen. I look over to my, my <laughs> best friend from high school and she is an avid, <laughs> she's an old soul. And she, she looks at all of us and she goes, have you never heard of, uh, I don't know, the mailing system? <laughs> oh, my God. The post office. The post office. She, so she's like, and I, I cried laughing because Elsie, that her name's Elsie. Shout out to you. Shout um, out to Elsie. I love she, it. She writes me a letter at biweekly, and I have written her maybe one letter in our whole entire friendship. Aww. And it's just a running gag between us. Like, she will write me tons of letters, um, and I have a whole box of them. And they're kind of like little snippets of our like lives over the past 10 years. And um, we joke that like I just have never found a stamp in the last 10 years. Um, (laughs) But so we were just laughing like what a millennial moment to not to forget that like you can mail something. Yeah, that's so crazy. And also reminds me of um, we had hired an assistant at work several years ago and we asked her to mail a letter. She didn't realize you had to put an address on it. Oh, wow. That's pretty bad. I knew that much. I just forgot the entire system existed. Yeah. I personally hate the post office, and I wish they would leave, even though they're in the Constitution, so they can't legally leave. But I went to the post office yesterday to mail some of our swags. Shout out. Um, Swag. And 
it's just like the worst environment not to go on a tangent but like I understand why millennials don't want to use the post office and if they want to ship stuff they either do it themselves and just have things picked up in the office that they work in or their apartment or they use FedEx or UPS because the post office is literally the worst yeah and it's expensive so dumb so with that (laughs) great transition um i can since i didn't have a millennial moment i could start with my hot topic how about that do it girl love it so there is a vice article that i'll post that was kind of the inspiration for this uh hot topic and it was talking about how millennials are the grandma generation which we've touched upon a little bit in previous episodes but we haven't really delved into it and this article was talking about you know one of the things that our parents always talk about when they were in their 20s they would go out to bars like my parents met in a bar and they're married now like these social interactions and it all revolves around getting drunk or doing some sort of drug like smoking pot and you're running around and you're having all these escapades and adventures and then all of a sudden you're going to settle down in the suburbs and that's your life Um, and millennials are not doing that and especially younger millennials like people that are still in their 20s like they've realized that going out kind of sucks and that's the article title that millennials have figured out that going out is like not necessarily as fun as our parents made it out to be and it's very expensive and if you live in a city like New York you know spending a hundred dollars to have a big night out and go out to dinner and buy expensive drinks just to be hung over the next day is not fun when you know, there's all of this prestige media that you could sit at home and go to bed when you want and order all of this delicious food on Seamless and not have to do anything. Like, it's a dream. So I am totally into that. Like, I still like going out, obviously. I like going to bars and experiencing the culture. But I think definitely more so, like, when I talk to Gen X and, like, baby boomers, millennials like to have a nice, quiet night in. Yeah, I think that what's really interesting, though, and this is something we find so often in our discussions and our research for this podcast is I think that's totally true, but it is also in direct contrast to something you hear um, and is true about millennials is that they value experiences over, um, you know, material goods or whatever. So I think it's interesting to kind of look at the intersection of that because I wonder, this would have been a good question for Terrence to ask him last week, but how does this mean that millennials are then spending more money to make sure their home is like all tricked out and that they have the nicest TV and sound stereo or whatever? Or does it just mean that they're going out less, but when they do go out, it's like balls to the walls? No, I think it's the first option if I had to think about it. I think, you know, if you think about how much money you spend on like, if you have cable, if you have Hulu, if you have Netflix, if you have Amazon Prime, like, all of that does cost money. And I think even now, like, Corey's out there playing video games. Like, that's his version of, like, a night in. That's right. a very expensive hobby. You have to have all the equipment and the games and stuff. Like, I think it is a little bit of that. And I I have found a little bit of the second option where it's, like, balls to the walls when you do go out. But I think it's more, like, I think the experience, Shay, that you're talking about, like, that millennials want to have the experience is like being at home relaxing after a really stressful week at work like being with loved ones as opposed to strangers like I think that's the experience that millennials are valuing when you talk about going out being exhausting it reminds me of like 
going out today experiencing I mean it's kind of your second job is to like post it on Instagram tweet about it it's a chore like going out and having a social life is a chore you're keeping up with your like personal brand or what Mm -hmm. have you and so when you're inside with just your close friends you don't feel that responsibility as much and I feel like millennials are just me personally it's exhausting and there's like a lack of authenticity there often and so I think we're kind of retreating into like what's authentic what do I want like we're very much like the selfish generation is what we're called often um so I find myself retreating to what I feel most comfortable and um and that includes you know like my closest friends where I don't feel like I need to be performing anything yeah and that often means on my couch watching Netflix (laughs) which is a completely wonderful way to spend your day it is interesting that I like just your comment Jen about the performative nature of going out because I recently not recently but I've just and it was a totally natural thing and I'm not saying this like oh I'm so great because I'm still totally on Instagram every day for way too long looking at other oh, people's shit yeah we all but are I stopped posting really I mean I post pictures of the dog like maybe <laughs> once a week but I really you. stopped you're welcome I know she's so cute um but I've really stopped kind of that performative like I don't know like I was out for pizza with my boyfriend and they had this like great display and I was hey, like oh David. I should take a picture of that and post it on Instagram and then I was like no I'm not going to and it was just so great to kind of like be free of that obligation to share i think a lot of it is self-imposed and some of it might be like because of your job or the industry that you're in depending on how i still love instagram i love posting and i do a lot of um product-based content posting and i love i do love sharing like my social life and my you know things that we do and um and i also like watching other people's what they're doing and i'm and i i see their other cool restaurant it's like oh i want to go to that restaurant that looks really cool Mm -hmm. or um that experience like you said Mm -hmm. shay like that experience looks really interesting um but i think there is while we love doing it it's kind of like a double-ended sword like we like it but then we get it's just tiring it's exhausting Yeah. yeah um so i think we have a we're trying to find a balance between that and I'm totally. yeah I love that all right Shay do you have a hot topic um well I just I have to mention um the hot topic uh campfire topic that Kelsey suggested um shout out Kelsey hi Kelsey yeah shout out Kelsey um so she wanted me to talk about how the women's march organizers are um, encouraging students teachers and their allies this is me quoting from a cnn article to walk out of schools on march 14th to protest gun violence so i think um i didn't realize that was coming from the women's march organizers yeah i didn't realize that either um and that's kind of the thing that really interested me about it um And also, I love that we're teaching these young kids who are even more plugged in than we are, um, this idea of protest and peaceful protest and peaceful public protest. Um, And I love that the Women's March is moving beyond just this one issue, Um, although I have heard it said that gun violence is a women's issue because so many uh, women are killed in, you know, domestic violence incidents um, that involve guns. But um, anyway... That was my hot topic. I think it's awesome. Um, I would encourage all students to walk out on March 14th, 2018. But please do check with your parents first because you don't want to get detention. Yeah, don't be, don't go to truancy court because my mom used to deal with that and it's yeah, it's not a fun mess. for anyone. Yeah. Wow. What's your uh, campfire topic, Jen? Um, well, I was on Twitter as um, 
us millennials are. And <laughs> I was scrolling and I saw someone um, from my office retweet this um, M&M ad. And um, it was the green and brown, both female M&Ms holding hands. And it was like this like lesbian. Queer M&Ms Yeah, it was like queer M&Ms. Like, I was like, okay, like... We got marriage, but we never had the M&M's until today. So I'm very excited about that um, to have awesome. uh, candy in our corner. So, uh, <laughs> but it was it was just interesting to like. I mean, there's really yeah. nothing gayer than an M&M because they're rainbow colored. Right, right. I mean, I think there are definitely things gayer than yeah. M&M's, but I understand your point. Um, but I, uh, I'm just surprised it's taken them so long. Is right. What yes. I'm yes. Um, so I that was just um, I was interested in. I think it's been a conversation that comes up with any social movement where do brands belong in the conversation Um, that's always a big topic around like gay pride in new york uh, yeah how much corporate sponsorship like some people are very anti definitely um and so it's like are these brands people do they have voices do they share in the political conversation um a lot of actors and comedians they're being told to like sit or, or athletes they're being told to sit down don't this is not your space to talk or about you know the political climate and so I think brands are involved in that as well and it's I think it's interesting to talk about you know why do we think people should stay in their lane is this everyone's lane I think you know if you're existing today you know I don't know I, I think I want to pass yeah. it off to you guys what do you guys think yeah I mean I think it's an interesting topic I think I think people are smart enough and I've had this debate with people which like I didn't think it was controversial until I said it and people were like I don't know. Like, I think the general public is smart enough to know when something is genuine and when it's authentic coming from a celebrity or coming from a brand. I think people like, you know, thinking of like an in-your-face example, like the Pepsi commercial with Kendall Jenner, that was like, you know, maybe their heart was in the right place, but like the execution was just so poor. And I genuinely don't think that like Pepsi gives a shit about Black Lives Matter and the resistance. Like, you know, why would they? Like, I work for a giant corporation. Like, yes, they do a lot of giving. And I'm not trying to say, like, corporations are evil because they're not. But I think you can tell when something's a PR move and when it's marketing, even if it's coming from a good place. Like, and I think something like the M&Ms, like, it's, it's sweet. It's not, you know, people... No pun intended. Yeah, it's, it's like a sweet gesture. It's not like they're plastering every street corner with these billboards. It's just like a nice thing. And, you know, I think it's yeah. candy. It's not like a big priced item. It's like something well, that appeals to everyone. And right. so I think if it's genuine, it's fine. I think where pe- where I get upset is like when a celebrity, like we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, like it goes back to like straight guys that try to use being a feminist to pick up women. Like it's disingenuous. Right. And even if you're trying to do the right thing, like you still suck. And so I think that is true for corporations as well. Right. I think, yeah, I think it, for me, it just, I thought I had two thoughts when I saw it. I said, oh, that's really cute. And then I thought, well, you know, they're pandering, but also, mm-hmm. you know, someone was in that social media, you know, meeting at five o'clock on a Friday and yeah. they were like, well, let's have a little more representation right. out there. So I, and some it's kid a, might see that. And yeah. Be like, yeah. that's cool. Well, and I think what's really great about it um, is that, uh, and this is the same thing that happened when J.C. Penney did their ad with, you know, the gay moms. Was that was there was ladies? Yeah, um, <laughs> I think they also did some gentlemen, um, a family that had two dads. And I think what's really awesome about those, even though they were super controversial and people got upset or whatever, it's 
you know, the M&M thing is now less controversial because every time a company chooses to do that, no matter what their motivation is, they're normalizing this thing that yes. is very, and I know we don't love the word normal, but like it's normalizing something that is normal, um, but that hasn't been considered such. So I think it's wonderful because again, it's just kids see that and then they don't even, they're not going to be thinking about it later because it's just something that they saw, whether it's two moms or two good, dads or yeah, whatever. That's such a good point because back in high school, if I ever saw, or like when the gay ads like first started coming out, um, or like even interracial, I remember Cheerios did the inter, like the biracial, like, um, couple ad and that was like mm-hmm. super controversial but um i you're so right like when i looked at the tweets underneath the ad it was like oh my god i want some m&ms like it wasn't like look yeah. how you know like it wasn't yeah. it wasn't pushing any boundary this was just yeah. like the norm it was getting the desired reaction yeah. out of people mm-hmm. i think that's yeah, and a- I think, like i remember i think it was gray's gray's anatomy that showed the first lesbian kiss on like network primetime tv um oh, and yeah. it was like I think such it was a big great. deal and now every show has like a couple you know a, a lesbian couple on which yeah. is wonderful and you don't it becomes kind of tropey but deal. you know yeah. yeah yeah but i think tropes there's a sense of tokenism but it has to yeah, start they serve at a, a, place. a purpose in this in, in, in this kind of greater um fight so uh maybe not to i don't want to cut the hot topics short but it seems like this is a good segue jen into your story and you've brought up you know that you are a proud and queer woman and we'd love to hear your um your story yeah. oh gosh where do ready i ready to tell it yeah um well i i guess i'll just jump in i mean i was um born in new orleans and i lived in dallas texas for a while um i spent my high school years in massachusetts at a boarding school um and I really didn't figure out my sexuality. I, I identify as a lesbian, and I didn't really come to figure any of that out until senior year of high school. Um, I joined the, you know, GSA on campus, and uh, mostly because all of my friends were just in the club, and I wanted something to do on a Thursday night. So um, we, we started going to the meetings, and there was this, like, one other... And just- Oh, sorry, Jen. For our older um, listeners, the GSA is the Gay Straight Alliance. Yeah. Now they're, the clubs are definitely or like, allies. Yeah. Um, that was what our club and our my high school at that time was called. Um, and anyway, so there was this like one other lesbian on campus, and I formed this huge crush on her. She knows who she is. <laughs> Pretty much everyone on the uh, who I know knows who it is. Um, we're good friends now, but at the time, she represented this like new scary thing I had never had crushes on boys I was very like just kind of apathetic about my sexuality and she was just like this shining like Like a breath of fresh air yeah and like I was just like like the world made sense when she walked in the room and it was very powerful to me and then from there I just quickly was on a path of self-discovery and and it um and my my story of like coming out which is like the one that people really often like to hear is like um I told my brother who um for my older brother first and then I um told my mom and and there was really no like backlash or anything like that I mean my mom from then on out would ask oh is that friend like also gay like any girlfriend I had (laughs) around me (laughs) like she was like oh are they gay too like you know like 
little things like that, but they were totally, um, like from a good place of heart. And, um, I actually have a funny story about how my twin brother found out, um, he was ill at the time in the hospital. Um, and so he was all like, you know, drugged out on all these, um, um, medications. And I was on the phone with my mom and I guess I was on speakerphone because I was talking about like telling so-and-so I was gay, blah, blah, blah. And I hear this like grunt, like this like <laughs> gritty voice, like roll over in bed and he go, and it was my brother. And he's like, did Jen just say she's gay? And so like, I came out to my brother on speakerphone by accident, but oh. um, I think the Nothing only like outing yourself, right? Yeah. Um, and so I've had a pretty great experience. The only one that was like a little like bump of the road was my dad. Um, but his only response, I told him about like two years after that, like when, when I was in college and I was terrified and I had a girlfriend at the time and I wanted, you know, to talk about that. Um, and so I told him, I wrote this really long letter and I told him and his only response was, which was so unexpected. He said, just make sure he, he said, it's disappointing from a family standpoint because I want you to have kids. And I was like, like, newsflash. I'm like, newsflash, <laughs> like, I want kids too. And there's many yeah. ways to have a family and it's not just like, um, the way that you think. So, and then his, yeah. So after we got over that, like it was totally fine. So really, um, my experience, especially with parents that come from like a Southern background was very loving and very, um, easy. I am interested if you're open to talking about it, like the having kids aspect, like, what does that look like? Like, do you think you have to make the decision sooner in order to be able to do that? Like, what does that look like yeah. for you now? For me, like, I come from a, I'm, like, very privileged. To, I know that I um, have the support in my back corner. And I definitely, I for the longest time, I'm all my friends call me, like, the mom. And, like, <laughs> I, I'm very much, like, I've always wanted to be a mom. Like, yeah. every, I think it's because my mom was so motherly. And I have this, like... Like anytime I see a Your baby, mom is the best. yeah. Anytime I see a baby on Instagram, IRL, like I want that baby. <laughs> and, the baby fever is real. And my, it's my uterus. Like I, my brain is like, nah, girl. Like you can't pay your rent on time. Like this is not okay. But my uterus is like, give me the baby. So, um, <laughs> I hope my girlfriend is not listening to this because she rolls her eyes every time. Um, but yeah, how I envision having. A child is, um, I want to carry the baby, and whoever my partner would be, I would carry their egg, and so they have an involvement in the child, and I would be, mm-hmm. like, growing the baby and giving birth to the baby and, like, raising this child. So you would be almost like a surrogate situation A surrogate, yeah. Baby. Um, That's cool. I like that. Yeah, and then the donor is, like, the mystery thing that I've just never been able yeah. to figure out. People have suggested crazy things like my oh, brother sure so many, oh my god yes I people that's a thing so many, yeah. people really? have suggested oh that and i'm like i'm not gonna carry <gasps> so my good. brother's thing i would not judge you if you ended up doing no, that I, but hey, i think that's so weird. i don't judge people that do because maybe they're in situations where like that's their only option right. and like I, and i'm reminded of phoebe on friends where she that was their only option and she held the triplets of her brother yeah so no judgment it's just not for me <laughs> yeah. I would be. I would carry your brother's baby. <laughs> Thank you. I'll let, I'll let Brian know. <laughs> but my, my mom's the one that said that. She's like, well, oh, have just have Brian do it. And I'm like, what? 
mom. That's so funny. Anyway, I think but family. But you can have like a friend or just like a rando. I, yeah, I mean, it goes back to like, is sperm really that big of a deal? Like, it's just. No, I can tell uh, you. Yeah. I've experienced it a lot. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rough. So, like, honestly, like, I, I'm sure we'll just like pick from some kind of donor situation but um but yeah so a lot of people have a lot of thoughts about what I just said it's it seems very like uh normal to me because I've this is something as a gay woman I've thought about a lot um Mm -hmm. and also there's a financial component I mean doing IVF is very expensive um and you know but I know that and that's and hey like I'm 24 like maybe by the time I'm wanting to have kids the whole like everything yeah. looks totally different um so that's just kind of like what I've thought about what I've talked about with my partner but you know there's that's no cool. babies coming down the pipeline anytime soon <laughs> well I think it's I think it's wonderful Jen that and I've talked about this many times before both in my life and I think on this podcast I can't remember though um it's good to think about that now especially if you're thinking about having babies in a I don't want to say non-traditional but in an in an un orthodox way because I think a lot of young women don't think about you know the time involved the emotional um the emotional I don't know investments yeah yeah Yeah, investment that's the word I'm sorry guys I'm a little tired the emotional investment um involved and also the physical toll that that takes on your body having to do IVF is not easy I've had friends do it I've watched them go through it and it's awful. It sucks. And it makes me say, if I can't have a baby, you know, with my partner, then I may, that's it. I'm not trying anything else. Um, so I think that's really brave. And I think it's great that you start that thought process now and not at 34 yeah. or 36. The biggest reaction I get, that's such a good point. The biggest reaction I get when I tell people this um, <clears throat> is they say, well, what? Well, it wouldn't, like, the baby wouldn't look like you. Um, because it wouldn't be my DNA, um, mm-hmm. and minus, unless, unless I take my brother's DNA, which is the solution twin, that people, oh my that's what they think the solution is, like, put yeah, your brother's so DNA in them, and then, like, the problem is but solved. That, yeah, I thought about that myself, because, like, I don't know if I necessarily want my own kid, and I always joke that, like, I'm gonna adopt a 10-year-old when I'm 40, which I think, I mean, you guys both know me <laughs> probably better than anyone, and I think that fits my personality, obviously, the yeah. practical implications of that, and other things like implicate that but I think I definitely have more of like you know not necessarily a maternal instinct but like mentoring young people I do like that that is part of parenting and stuff but the thought of like being pregnant like skeeves me out so much that like I don't want to do it um but you know the thought of adopting like if I don't want to carry a kid like the thought of adopting I really like that and stuff and like I've had the same reaction like I've told people that like oh like maybe I'll adopt and they're like oh well wait until you see if you can have your own kids and it's like no that's no, you the point to, of like adopting a baby costs 30,000 plus dollars you right. have to think about that now not in 10 years right now you yeah, know? but the thing is, like, and it's, they have people this, like, are always like, well, if it doesn't look like you, are you going to be able to bond with the kid? That's like, no. Okay, but what fine. do they think? Like, people are just dating people that look like them, yeah. and then the ba- like, what if no? But seriously, there's yeah. interracial. Like, I'm in a, an interracial relationship, and like, let's say my partner was a man, my baby wouldn't necessarily look right. like me either. Um, no, even if I did it the 
quote unquote like all natural way um so i think people have this archaic view of like babies looking like you and like you're not taking into account like a globalized loving society it's totally like even couples that may look similar and like are the same race like there are sometimes where it's like the baby looks like one parent and then you have another kid and it looks like the other parent it's like that happens all the time yeah. And like if I'm giving birth if I'm raise, if I'm growing this baby yeah. for nine months, you can bet your ass I'm gonna love it. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that's very interesting. Well, shall we switch gears? I wanna ask you give a little intro about your um work experience at BuzzFeed. I don't think we've mentioned yet that that's where you work and give a little introduction to the affiliate marketing, which is part of the reason why we wanted to have you on in addition to all of these other lovely topics, but Obviously, BuzzFeed was founded by a millennial. It's a very millennial company. I think it's pretty iconic. And so if you could talk a little bit about Yes, Jonah still is. wears hoodies and walks around the office. Yes. <laughs> He's very Well, I think it's hip. interesting that, like, you know, you're a younger millennial and Jonah's an older millennial. So in a way, BuzzFeed is bridging the millennial divide, which we love here. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you, BuzzFeed. And, but just, you know your experience with BuzzFeed and kind of what you do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Um, so what I do is called, I guess, like in buzzwords, it's um, affiliate marketing, um, commerce. Um, basically, we take the content that is already, we're, we're already writing, like makeup reviews, um, any product-based content, um, long form or short form, um, and there's a monetization component to them. So um, we'll write... Um, reviews like let's say I try this moisturizer for a week and I want to write about it um, instead of just writing that and keeping it on the website um, bare of any links we we actually put links to them where people can click through and purchase and we will make a percentage of that that purchase um, and it gets even it gets a lot more complicated than that but that's like generally how we have a revenue um, but yeah I, I really love it it's definitely something that's new it's it stems from the um, kind of the shopping online phenomena and like amazon.com if you have heard of it um, <laughs> but uh, yeah it's just it feels like the economy of like going into a brick and mortar it's that but it just it's it's online now and um, people are doing all their shopping online and we're um, providing a service I mean we're rounding up products that we are doing like so like my whole team is doing like day after day like research on these products and what's coming out what's the newest makeup line what's the newest fashion line what is like what are things that we think you would enjoy and so we really have to have an authentic relationship with our audience about that and we can't just like say oh you'll like this and then what if they hate it and return it we know we don't make that money mm-hmm. a if they return it and b we want you to trust what we are suggesting so it's definitely an authentic experience so, on that line so what if you guys have done all the research and there's, let's just say, for lack of a better uh, product, let's say a face cream and everything says it's going to be awesome, but then you use it and you're like, this is crap. It smells like gasoline and my skin broke out horribly after using it. Do you write that review or do you guys just kind of, you know, pass then on that product? Yeah, we definitely are honest if we do reviews. Like, um, And there's also like 25 of us as writers on the team so mm-hmm. what if if I hate something it's not for my skin it made me break out it might be perfect for person b you know um and so mm-hmm. that person would probably write about it and say this worked well for me so we do keep it positive but there's definitely like honesty if I'm gonna write about something I'll definitely give you the pros and cons um there's this face mask ma- there's this face mask I love um by Eve Lom and 
I use it all the time. <clears throat> it's a kind of like a dry down clay mask, but if I, I like to go to sleep with my masks to give them like the most time they can. Um, and this mask like gets all over my pillow. It just like completely ruins my sheets. Like, and so I wrote about that. I said like, this mask really works, but if you're looking for an overnight mask, I would go with this instead. So I would suggest something else. So to your, I think maybe what you're asking is, are we honest? And um, with our feedback and yes because the interesting thing about affiliate marketing is that it's not branded content so yeah. we're not controlled that was the by biggest thing brands. when yeah you and I have yeah. had this conversation before like when you first described what you did I thought it was the equivalent of it's not like content. Unilever comes to us and says right. write about this and this um and like not brands do come to us and ask us to write about things but they don't have control over what yeah. we're saying that's the biggest part but there's um, a difference between like branded content is like yeah. a different team from what you guys are doing it's a whole different department we sit with an editorial we write our own thoughts we have full autonomy over what we're thinking and saying um and that brings again that authenticity to it what has been like one of the your favorite pieces that you've written or one that has had the most positive feedback um i wrote um i did a uh like skincare for adult acne which i was which like the first week i started um and I really loved it because I could do a – we do roundups of, like, you know, gift guides for your dad or so-and-so. And those are really fun to write because you get to go – You, I basically shop all day. <laughs> um, and I shop for other people. But um, and I know how much Shay loves gift guides. Yeah. I love gift guides. They're, They're super helpful. Um, mm-hmm. And But I loved this one because it was, like, more of a long-form review about about me. <laughs> um, so it's kind of nice to, to kind of, like – bring the audience into my bathroom and like show them like what I do what my routine is I'm actually working on a project coming down the line that's like a roundup of like a ton of people's different skincare routines because one routine is not gonna fit everybody um Mm -hmm. and so I'm I love I have a passion for skincare I love um beauty in general and I so I enjoyed that article I also liked a gift guide I did that was like a gift guide if you're on the naughty list so that oh. was like that was exciting because Damn i just got to shop like dildos all day so <laughs> oh no fun. yeah that's awesome yeah what has been um something that maybe you had a preconceived notion about buzzfeed before you worked there that maybe working there has dispelled that feeling for you or just something surprising about working there that you think people on the outside wouldn't necessarily know that's a great question um I was a super fan before I was an employee, so I ha- have consumed BuzzFeed media content since high school. I um, so I've always had a positive impression of BuzzFeed, and but it was from an outsider perspective. And um, I think my biggest fear about joining BuzzFeed was that oh my god, like these people are so cool, yeah. and like do Aww. I do I deserve to be here? Like do I deserve a seat at this table? Um, and I think even as women, we think this a lot about. Um, different opportunities that we're we're fighting for and um you know I worked my ass off to get the seat at that table so at the end of the day um I think my fear was you know is this gonna be like high school cool kids or and I got in like a mean girls culture yeah like because I mean they're people that are in the head of their fields they're I work with the most like smart driven incredible millennials and older millennials and um so that was my biggest fear but I think honestly I got in there and it was just a bunch of nerds <laughs> a bunch of nerds and I and I felt so at home yeah that's awesome I love that well I mean I think BuzzFeed 
the whole history of the platform is fascinating and they're doing some of the best journalism out there now. Yeah. So um, I remember good for I know you, you to can't... be part of that movement. It's honestly really inspiring. Like what I do, I love what I do, but honestly, like hats off to everybody else in my office. They're incredible. Like they're, but the things that they accomplish, <laughs> I love the quote that like says like Beyonce only has 24 hours too. <laughs> and I yeah. like, and I, I, I feel like everyone in my office does so much in that, in the time that they're given and I'm always inspired to like do better do more so I feel like I'm on like a varsity team and it's so inspiring I know you and I I know you can't talk about like numbers or anything specifically but you and I were hanging out like the day or two after the Kevin Spacey article came out Mm -hmm. and just like hearing you speak about like the impact of that article and like how far-reaching it went and the impact that it had on the world and how much data and analytics BuzzFeed has that maybe a traditional publication doesn't have. And that's one of their strong suits. It's not, you know, obviously they have the strong editorial arm and their website is, you know, they have a lot of products and stuff that people might not even know is BuzzFeed. But I think the most powerful thing about it is that they're able to monetize it so well because they have all these analytics and technology behind what they're producing. Yeah. I think a big reason why I respect BuzzFeed is because, they're making we're making decisions but they're smart decisions and um yeah they're based on data I think I think a lot of media companies today are are making informed decisions and the good ones yeah (laughs) (laughs) um I think if you're doing things right you're taking past experience I think but BuzzFeed's been around kind of you know longer than most and and has kind of pioneered a lot of these different um monetization um departments and things like that so they're kind of ahead of the game in a sense but it's um but you know you might be ahead of the game you got to sustain that right so um there's still people making really smart choices um based off of the data that you talk about yeah that's super interesting and the kevin spacey thing was um that was i was I, i had like been there for about a month when that broke and it was interesting to see um the kind yeah the kind of impact that the company I work for has it's just just a kind of it's a very powerful thing and watching the kind of work the news team does is super inspiring and they're investing a lot in that um uh because you know the when you break down BuzzFeed it's like you know people have this conception that's like oh like cat videos and like things like that which is (laughs) great like we have plenty of those too um but I think um something Jonah was talking about um was that you know when you break down BuzzFeed it's like things that are shareable and mm-hmm. so news is just like that. It just makes sense. That's right. the next step. Like you, we, we're in a, we're in a time and place in our society where like news is so important and, um, being a part of the conversation, the like bringing, bringing the millennial voice to the conversation is I think really important. Yeah. That's great. So Shay, I don't know if you have any other questions for Jen on Buzzfeed, but if you, I don't have any other questions. Um, I, that is no, no. Uh, my fun fact about BuzzFeed is that, do you know those, like, tasty videos on Facebook? Yes, where they're, like, the top, the top down food videos? Um, yes. Well, we get to eat that. <laughs> Are they good? What's your favorite one that you've eaten? Um, well, like, normally um, we have this, like, inner communi- like we have this inner communication, like, service called Slack. And um, one of the channels on Slack is, like, tasty leftovers. And um, as soon as they post, like, you know, um, 
double triple chocolate brownie yeah. like you know <laughs> whatever it is like all you all you hear is like chairs swiveling and like feet running um but the office is like 700 people so um you you know you gotta you gotta fight for that brownie um yeah but the things I have had I had a 100 layer lasagna once oh my God. and that was Ooh. kind of mind-blowing yeah. and revolutionary for me what how does a hundred was it just really large or were all the layers really thin really thin but also like a substantial like lasagna yeah. um <laughs> and I know they like tried it and failed tried it and failed and then once they succeeded it was like this huge deal and like everyone was like applauding they we had they have such the tasty team is fucking incredible they um and their food is delicious thank you shout out to them yeah. This whole I'm always, I've never tried any of their recipes, but I always want to. But then I get nervous that I'm not as good at cooking. Well, as you should are. buy the Tasty Cookbook and um, shout out. Try to uh, replicate some of the recipes. Sometimes oh, you should I, buy it well, after clicking on one of Jen's articles. So should that... buy it from BuzzFeed.com/shopping. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, and I'll say who told this told, told me about this? Jen Tonti. Yes. Thank yeah. you. I was going to ask you about the Slack thing because I think that's one of the most interesting things that I've heard about your office culture because I work at like a very like my company's been around since the 1800s so it's very different um culture and vibe and we have like an IMing system but we don't have slack and I know people obviously we've talked about it and I know other people that have used it and it's like part messenger part like social it's a gift and a curse yeah to say I was Um, gonna ask like it seems like you get so much from it like there's so many different channels and stuff but is it also a distraction like how do you kind of balance your day yeah i mean you can that? you can mute channels you can yeah. you know delete the app if you really need yeah. to um but we also use it for um each department communicates mm-hmm. that way and um but it does form a community there's like you know i know 20 people i recognize them on slack but i if i saw them in real life because again my office is mm-hmm. like 700 people um i met someone i had talked to on slack a lot recently in real life and we didn't realize that we talked on slack before it's just like it's like internet friends but you're meeting in the office and we just laughed because i was like oh my god i recognize your profile picture but not like your actual face (laughs) but yeah i mean it can be distracting but um i think overall it's up to you to like get your work done yeah i mean i think it's better than it is not i think i think it does more good than it does not and it creates a lot of you know company team like you know Team building team and building. community. Yeah, community. Uh, there's a channel called uh, Froyo because we have a Froyo. We have a frozen yogurt machine in Lucky's. The, the Very <laughs> There's only one flavor though, so I, we have to um, <laughs> vote on it like every couple of months. And political like parties form. Let me tell you, um, <laughs> there's the like fro. There's always the tart party. Um, who won. I'm, I'm a member of the tart party. They sure. won recently. Um, there's tart now in our frozen yogurt machine. I was a friend. I was a um, member of the espresso party um, oh. because oh. can't have too much coffee yeah. at the office. No, um, but yeah, it's so like things now, like that. Like stim- they like just stimulate culture and yeah. like good times. Yeah, that's good. Do they offer toppings for the frozen yogurt? Or that was a very. For- that was brought up, um, <laughs> especially for a hot topic controversy. At a, the a, yeah. uh, for such a bland flavor like tart, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna get so many DMs. <laughs> um, uh, we were like, "Well, what are we gonna have? To- we have to have toppings for this." Um, so they gave us. You're not gonna eat just plain tart. Like, like, we have yogurt. You could just like put it in the freezer. I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, 
But no, we have like little mochi toppings, oh, which honestly I have to mm-hmm. concede like tart is delicious and the mochis were good. Um, good. Yeah. Good, good. I love that. Awesome. Well, I wanted to touch base before we run into our hot topics. If you mean open. our archery range? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Wow. All of the segments are running together. Um, you said we were talking a little bit about going back to like your backstory and your middle school days you went to camp oh my god so yeah um how i don't know how this Which camp adulthood we have to talk about the camp experiences yeah, I, we I, can't get away from this i yes. went i was okay. a camp, brand. i was a camp kid like i went to sleepaway camp every summer um but the funny part about me is that it was um like weight loss camp so in middle school oh. i yeah so this was like but I, oh my God, I loved it. It's such a fond memory for me. Um, so I went to like weight loss camp about five times growing up, like every summer. Um, in fact, I went but so much. Is this your choice or your parents' choice? Like a combination. Like I struggled okay. with my nutrition growing up and like I um, gained a lot of weight through middle school. And so, you know, I loved going to camp. So I may as well like go to camp and like lose weight, learn about nutrition and like honestly meet other people that were also struggling with weight um, mm-hmm. and have that kind of representation. But, you know, you're still, like, you know, a 10-year-old kid and you want to get up to no good. So um, I was telling Maddie <laughs> that, like, I used to have, like, a candy drug ring. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. At the fat camp. <laughs> At the fat camp. Um, so they're all over the United States. But this one was the summer they hired me to be, like, a mentor out in England. Um, so mm-hmm. I went to this town called Exeter, England. There's a ca- college campus that we stayed on. And um, I think I was like 13 or 14 at the time. But I was like this counselor mentor person. And there was a pool on campus that we would go to to swim and like, you know, exercise, etc. But there was like a vending machine inside where the bathrooms were. And so I used to say, okay, give me your quarters to the kids. And then I would run in to go to the bathroom and I would like hide Mentos in my bathing suit. Oh my God. Oh my God. And this is after they specially invited you to be a mentor. I know. Don't tell them. But like, okay, Mentos like don't even have that many calories. Like, come on. I know. It's so funny. It's not like you're bringing Snickers bars back or something. And the story you were telling me about the Diet Coke, you guys are always. That was at a different camp. So yeah. Okay. So that was like a couple summers before that um we were in the cafeteria and I was just like you know one of the uh campers and I was with these like the like this like gang of girls that I hung out with and we were in the cafeteria and there I saw like a box of diet coke in like the back where the kitchen Mm. was so we like orchestrated a plan to like sneak into the kitchen and I stole like three diet cokes and I stuffed them three and I stuffed them in my sweat my sweatshirt like pocket and Mm -hmm. we ran back to the dorms and like we all sat around and we like essentially puff puff past like this diet coke (laughs) like we would like take two sips and pass it and (laughs) I just love that it's Mentos and diet coke it's like in the grand scheme of things it's not that bad but like when you're in that situation I still lost weight we all had a good time yeah yeah I just love that. Jen's rebellious streak runs deep. Yeah, people talk about, like, break, you know, like, having their... When people talk about their, like, rowdy days as, like, a, a youth, I just yeah. laughed to myself because I was like, I was just so up to different things. But <laughs> that was my, like, rebellious side was, like, puff, puff, passing a Diet Coke. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've never even stolen a Diet Coke, so you're total badass, Jen. Shay is a angel who's never done anything wrong. Um... 
the thing I was talking about with, <laughs> with Maddie was that the millennial aspect of it was cell phones were like becoming more and more popular as I was going to camps. Like they were becoming more, um, like every kid had one. Um, mm-hmm. and, but the camp didn't allow us to have technology, like any kind of electronics except like an iPod, which used to exist separate from a cell phone, yeah. if you remember. <laughs> um, so we would like smuggle in SIM cards to like, oh my god, power up our i. So we could have the iPhone, but we'd have to take out the SIM card, so it was just an, like a, a music playing device. Mm-hmm. So we would smuggle in SIM cards to make it actually a phone again. Um, wow. And yeah, it just. <laughs> gets... I also smuggled my phone. I wouldn't camp, even know like where to phone. like put the SIM card in. I'm like looking at my phone right now to see if I can even figure so it out. So you take a paper clip yeah. and you poke the little, there's like on the side, I don't know about the newer ones, but if you poke a little tiny hole on the side of the iPhone, oh, this? Uh, like a little tray pops out. Uh, we have Kelsey, oh. our Gen Z representative helping Kelsey tray. Kelsey just showed me, yeah. <laughs> so you take a little paper clip and you poke that and it pops out like a little tray and the SIM card sits on that tray. Oh my God. I mean, I remember before I had an iPhone having to change out my SIM card, but um, fascinating. Yeah. Super fascinating. I just, I'm just so fascinated by like, do you think if you went back to these camps now, because like weight loss culture is so big in the United States that it would be like a different experience for kids? Like, do you think it would be, I don't know, like what was the overall, because it sounds like this is something that was a super positive experience for you. Yeah. Um, I loved it because be too much pressure. Yeah, I mean, I think there's when you're a middle school kid, there's pressure all the time. I think kids these days are are pressured in such different ways, and especially online. I think maybe sending a kid to camp without yeah. technology would be a breath of fresh air for them. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I have such fond memories. I just loved representation is so important to me. Be it you know race, gender, um, like. And, like, body type, like, when I went to these camps, like, I was like, oh, my God, like, I'm not alone. Like, I'm not the only person that has, like, um, like, I have, I have, um, it it just was such a a freeing experience. Like, we had dances, and it wasn't like, oh, I'm, like, the only one that wouldn't get picked for a dance. it wasn't, like, a punishment Mm -hmm. thing where you guys were all, like... Was, we weren't just like, like sent to, to like camp, military like, no. camp. Yeah, like when it you're... was like a fun experience, yeah. and you guys made friends, and it was like a normal camp. Yeah, it just we just had like nutrition classes, but it wasn't like like military camp or anything like that. Um, I don't know. I think it's good. I mean, I obviously the way we talk about weight now, it's like you don't want to shame people or like if someone want like if someone. Um, yeah, I think the conversation about like yeah being fat and like what that is and how that's portrayed in media and like being proud of that or like being like owning your body. Um, I think that you're right. There is a different conversation now than there was when back then, but you know, I, I wanted to lose the weight. So I asked my parents if I could go. So it wasn't, it was a, it was a very, like I drove, you were driving. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you say that, like talking about the representation and owning yourself and I think that's something that, you know, as an adult, I think that's an adult skill, right? Like, I was talking to a friend just this week, actually, and she texted me, and it was, like, a mutual friend of ours had started this, like, training situation where she was, like, training people. And she, like, texted me, and she was, like, so-and-so's, like, posts on Facebook are, like, really, like, fat-shaming me. And this person is, like, not fat. Like, I'm not saying that yeah. to, like, be nice to her. Like, 
I don't have a problem using the word fat because I think it's a descriptor. And I think yeah. if someone is not okay with it, then that's fine. And they can tell me if they're uncomfortable with me saying it. But like, as just a, like a general thing, I'm like, you know, skinny and fat are like ways to describe people. And it's not necessarily pejorative the way I say it. That's like the meaning behind what I'm saying. But like, thank you, Maddie. The, um, she was like, I, I feel fat shamed by this person. And this is like a grown adult woman. And like, she was feeling this like very legitimate feeling. And the, the way that this person was posting on social media, like, she was like kind of going on these diatribes about how, you know, losing weight is a choice. Like you have more power in you than you can, than you know about right now. And it was all like very positive and stuff. And I think that's a message that some, that resonates with some people, but it doesn't resonate with everyone. And for this particular person, she was like, I'm my best self when I'm just like sitting on the couch and yeah, I mean, living I- my life. And, but I think it's an important message, especially for young people that like, to be able to filter out those messages and just be able to exist as your own self is very difficult for so many people, especially yeah. for children. Like if adult women are struggling with it, certainly children, that's, it's so hard to filter out the social media and these right. people that are trying to be positive with their business, it has this unintended consequence of making this person feel bad, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest gift that those camps gave to me was just like, um, confidence um, yeah. because once yeah. you, once you see other people going through your struggle, there's a sense of like c- community and, um, you like strengthen that. Um, I since then lost, you know, 80 pounds. I'm like uh, around the same time I lost all that weight. I discovered my sexuality cause it felt like I was like new person. And I was able to like figure out those You're things. Like, new year, new me. New year, new me. Like, <laughs> yeah, I like shed it you know, a small person and now I like, you know, felt like I could become my own, but yeah. I, I, that was my journey. I'm not going to sit here and say someone else could go, should, should, that would be a good thing for them or that's their journey. Like that was, that was good for me in my life. But but. I think so many people, like even hearing your story here, like if, if people aren't okay with themselves, they can take some other person's story and their journey as an affront to their own selves. And I think especially young women struggle with that, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, yeah, I I babysit this. I, I think, it's so hard. It's, uh, being a part of media, I'm very – I'm always adding, like, when I'm doing clothing roundups, making sure I have all kinds of body types represented, right. all kind of genders represented, all kind of races represented. Like, that's something that's really important to us. Um, and it, it, because we have such a big stake in this representation game and growing up, you know, you didn't really see that stuff. And still today, people get mad at us because we'll post, like um, – one of my colleagues posted, like, a, um, like a roundup of – wedding dresses for plus size women and but the the commenters got really upset because the actual pictures we used were not plus size women for a lot of them but it wasn't us it's that that retailer didn't take pictures with plus size women for those wedding dresses so it doesn't stop with us it goes even beyond to like the different so like or the fact that a lot of plus size women are like really like size 12 like the models they're not like actual plus size women that exist in the world like but that's not buzzfeed's fault that's like right and we but we do our best to find those types of representations and to really include them but i think that's a good message like a lot of these media companies and even hearkening back to the first topic with shay's you know millennial moment like everyone's trying their best everyone has good intentions and no one very few people i think intentionally like go out in the world and are like i'm just trying to fuck shit up you know yeah we can always do better and like especially when you hold a place of account like we have a lot of responsibility on our uh, but i think 
especially at my company, like we're very aware of that responsibility and do our best every day yeah. to, 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 right. to do our best. Yeah. Right. But doing That's your best thing. does not equal perfect, but it's great. Yeah. All right. Shall we move to the archery range? Yeah, kids? let's. Uh, I've got a great first question for Jen. So, uh, Jen, if you're familiar with the podcast, we're just going to ask you a series of rapid fire questions. Answer them uh, quickly. Don't overthink them. And it's just kind of uh, oh, helpful. that is my forte overthinking. I know. Right. <laughs> um, but it helps to establish you for our le- read or readers. Oh, my God. Listeners uh, in the millennium spectrum. And again, uh, listeners, Jen is 24 years old uh first question what was your favorite camp activity stealing diet coke <laughs> excellent favorite animal dog favorite uh, place you visited oh also favorite book favorite book oh um in order to live a north korean defector I wanna read that survival story. um memoir That's incredible awesome. read it all right go maddie favorite place you visited outside of new york um I, I would that's hard because you travel a lot. <laughs> Some people yeah. we ask this question to and they're like, oh, I've only been out of the country one time, like, bleh, which is fine. But like, I know you have a lot of options to choose from. I would say uh, I just went to New Orleans and like, although I'm from there, going back there, I feel like a visitor often. And it was nice to experience that outside of the United States. I would say, um, oh, my God. I really loved South Africa. Oh, yeah. Um, I want to go to South Africa. Yeah. Uh, shout out to the lovely women from South Africa that did my nails when we were visiting your mom. And she was telling us about the South African Oh, she African was from South Africa. She was yeah. so cool. Oh, my God. I loved her. Yeah. Um, no, but right now, actually, just to draw quick attention to their water crisis, um, not to uh, disrupt. I know nothing do about it. This. Disrupt it. Girl. Um, do it. Yeah. They... Um, they're running out of water. There's a count, there's a day where there will be no more water and it's, um, quite the issue. I don't want to speak on it because I don't know too much about it, but I definitely, um, think it's something to look up. I did not even know that was a thing. So now I'm going to Google it after this. Thanks Um, Jen. Uh, favorite TV show? Friends. Oh yeah. Oh, I was going to, Oh, I don't want to keep derailing the archery topic, but this is something that I wanted to get your opinion on. I read a thing that was like, because Netflix, Netflix just recently picked up Friends, not recently, but like relatively yes. recently, and people, I think, are now watching it through a lens, like millennials are watching it through Does a different lens. Does it hold lens. up? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of like the different like social issues, like the way that they treat like transgender people, like... And the I way they treated that lesbian... I mean... Yeah. Ross's lesbian wife was a laugh track. Right. Yeah. yeah. So how do you feel about that as a super fan of the show um i mean i grew up on it i fell asleep every night listening to um you know episode after episode my brothers and i can quote any episode and like it's kind of crazy but so for me it's definitely it's a personal it's like you know a security blanket for me it's very like a childhood memory and so but you're not looking for it to be like, how should I feel about these yeah so for me it's not like it's not informing your opinions i i agree that like I mean, if you look at any media created in the 90s behind, it's not going to, a lot of them are not going to hold right. up. So it's like, I understand it. Um, I love Friends. I look at it critically, it's but so I also show. I just started love rewatching it. Yeah. it. It's great. So Yeah. But it also is like a, oh, look how far we've come and isn't that great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that conversation like does something hold up today as just someone who's been a student of literature. Like I, there's a part of me that I just hate that conversation because it doesn't. 
I mean, there are certain things that, yes, we shouldn't continue to watch because they are so ridiculously sexist or racist or homophobic. But, you know, you're not pulling anything new from the material if you're like, oh, let's, does Shakespeare stand up? Does Dickens stand up? Does, you know, does Scott stand up? Yeah, it's just, I don't think it's the most productive way to have a conversation about the changes, um, the great changes going on in our world. As like a Uh, media student at NYU, um, we did a lot of this looking at old media and talking about um, looking at history through the lens of media. And Mm -hmm. um, I think it's actually, I think friends and other media even older than friends, it actually is very important as a flagship for what was going on in that time. So I think they're actually exactly. I think they hold value. I think they hold value. I think it's a snapshot of time and what society and culture thought was funny. Um, nowadays, you wouldn't have a laugh track when two lesbians say right. "I do," um, but it's important to have that exist to see. Wow, as a reminder and a piece of and history. as a study. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. All right, back, back to the to archery. <laughs> Favorite snack? Goldfish. Love it. Favorite year in elementary school? Oh, God. First year because um, I had a crush on Grant. I won't say his last name. Um, we dissected an owl pellet together, and oh. it was lit. <laughs> awesome. Shout out to you, Grant. This Very was first romantic. grade? This was first grade. It might have been second grade, oh, okay. but wow. they was kind of hot shit in lower grade. school. I'm not yeah. going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> He turned into the quarterback of the football team, and I did not. <laughs> You're very cool. Your life paths diverged after the our, our path, Our lives have diverged. It's like if we did a where is he now kind of thing, I would be very interested in that. We actually brought Grant here. I have oh, him wow. Hi, Grant. Oh, <laughs> uh, great. Um, These are the days of your life. I wrote him a letter once that said, will you date me? Yes, no, maybe. And what did he respond? He checked the maybe. Oh, that's (laughs) That's the worst response. What an indecisive little fuck. You shouldn't have given them the option. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, sorry. I get very Uh, passionate about Grant. We should wrap this up, but thank you, Jen, for being here. Where can people find you if you want to be found on your BuzzFeed stuff, Instagram. Or your social media. I'm on Twitter. I don't. I don't tweet. I retweet. Um, but I, I'm on Instagram. You can find me on What's the interwebs. Um, or your name. Just well, my name, name Jennifer Tonti. Jennifer okay. You can find There's me. Also, find me on Buzzfeed. uh, BuzzFeed.com, the website. Buzzfeed.com/shopping. Awesome. I'm gonna check it out. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thank you so awesome. much, Jen. Thanks for having me. Um, of course. Of course. Uh, internet. You know where to find us. Yes, we're on Google Play now. I'm going to shout that out. Yeah, check it out, kids. And and there's still more swag if you want to hop on that Patreon. Yes, my apartment is very small, so please uh, buy it from us. And yeah. we also have the Facebook page, so please like that. That's a new social media platform. And continue to review on iTunes. It's always much appreciated. Shout out to my mom. All right. That's about it. Shout yeah. out to Jen's mom. All right, bye, bye campers. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield, and this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com, and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Please also find on our website, there are links to our Patreon page, where you can be a subscriber and there are many cool prizes. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at camp. Uh-
Dalton.